What's happening, Hardscapers? This is episode 167 of the How to Hardscape podcast, where we talk about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business. And today's episode is brought to you by Cycle CPA. If you need bookkeeping, accounting, or CFO services, reach out to them at cyclecpa.com. Let them know how to hardscape sent you for $200 off their services. As well as Inlight Outdoor Lighting, check them out on Instagram at Inlight Design. That's I N L I T E Design. Get some inspiration from their beautiful photos there, incorporating outdoor lighting, and reach out to them to get the conversation started if you're looking for new lighting for your business. And today we're joined by Jackie Hart. She's the president of Consulting by Hart and with 35 years in the industry, she has something to say about employees and culture. An excellent episode, something that I need personally as well in my business. So without further ado, let's get into this. Today, we're joined by Jackie Hart, and with a career spanning 35 years, including founding, managing, and selling Water's Edge Landscaping, she is the president of Consulting by Hart, where they provide support and training that empowers business owners to lead their teams toward success. Jackie, thank you so much for joining us here. Hey, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Awesome, Jackie. Let's get started to get to know a little bit more about you, yourself, how you got started in the industry and sort of your evolution towards consulting. Can you give our audience a little bit of context around that? Sure. Absolutely. I don't want to bore you with the details because it's a long journey, but um, I started working in a garden center, then ended up getting uh, laid off because they went bankrupt. And we had a gardening service in the garden center and had people coming, phoning me, looking me up and phoning me at home saying, how come, like, where did everybody go? And anyway, so I started my own company and Water's Edge Landscaping with a small pickup truck and one girl helped me part-time. And then I grew that to 35 staff, um, lots of trucks, lots of trailers. We were in cottage country in Ontario. Um, So lots of boats, barges, lots of island work and lots of logistics. And I grew that business um, 24 years. I sold it in my 25th season to my general manager. And through that transition, we had a five-year transition. I started doing business coaching and consulting with others in the landscape industry. So I speak at a lot of conferences and have a lot of clients right across Canada. I don't speak in the States. And I don't have clients in the States, but I do everything in Canada. And um, so, yeah, so now I just run uh, business coaching and consulting. And I also do a lot of training for the large industry association up here in Landscape Ontario. And um, so lots of business coaching, lots of business entrepreneur, business owner training and teaching on anything from financials to managing leadership and managing your people. Amazing. So having been consulting for as long as you've been doing, you've obviously had uh, the privilege of going under the hood of many different companies and kind of seeing how they work. What are some common themes that are kind of popping up to you as you kind of take a look at these companies? And are there any common things that you definitely see from company to company? Or what can you kind of give us in terms of this? Well, there's there's lots of common things that everyone that people struggle with. And I always say, you know what, you're not alone. Every single coaching client that comes to me, um, they're either not making enough profit. They don't have enough cash flow to get them through the slower time of the year. They can't build a team and get people to stay for any length of time. They're always recruiting, always looking for a lead hand, a supervisor, 
They're wearing too many hats. They can't focus on any one thing well themselves. They're spread too thin. They're pulled in many different directions. They're living off of a drive-through diet and they're not getting the results and the equity built up in their business. Um, because let's face it, in this industry, it's our retirement plan, right? Like being able to build a value in a company is your pension. So not understanding how to manage your costs, manage your overhead, manage your uh, gross profit and all of your margins and manage your people is probably the biggest challenge. We're an industry of technicians, right? I started my business, same as many of your listeners start their businesses. You know how to landscape. So low barriers to entry. I need a pickup truck and some tools and a couple of people and a few customers and I'm in business. And then when it starts, the zeros start to add on the end of the sales and you're into the millions, um, the problems uh, start and challenges start to multiply just as quickly unless you understand that you actually have to slow down in order to go faster. And that's the hard part is being able to take your foot off the gas long enough to come up for air and look around and say, okay, what actually do I need to develop here as a strategy? Where am I doing really well? Where am I not doing well? What are the gaps in the business? And who do I need to go hire that has different and complementary skills to mine, as opposed to the same skills that I have? And probably the number one challenge, Mike, that I see over and over again in the last five years is labor, is employee retention. So that's what I think maybe we should talk about today. That's a great topic to get into, something that we really haven't done a deep dive with anybody on the podcast just yet. And uh, a lot of things that you just said there kind of resonated with me, uh, drive-through diet and all these different things. So uh, me, myself, operating my business, which is really small and and trying to find employees and, and struggling with that and retention, this is a great topic for not only myself, but I'm sure many other listeners, as you said, this is a common thing that we're struggling with in this industry is the, the labor shortage that um, I personally don't think is going to go away anytime soon. Mm-mm. No, it's not. Um, And I think as the economy shifts downward a little bit, inflation going up and and, uh, uh, this confidence in the marketplace, perhaps, um, you know, a lot of us breeze through the pandemic, and I don't use that term lightly, um, relatively well, because people were prevented from traveling, no one was able to spend their discretionary income on all the toys and joys. So they started to do especially especially residential landscape. Um, And uh, that part of that sector of the industry has been absolutely booming in the last couple of years. And so it's been even harder to find find the right people's, you know, government programs, paying people to stay home, um, giving people funding that maybe they wouldn't normally have been able to have. Lots of people going underground, working for cash. Um, So there's been a shift in in the employee labor marketplace, lay that on top of the problem that uh, many employers, I'm gonna say uh, baby boomer Gen X employers over the age of 45 have been having in the last five to eight years with trying to connect with millennials and having that sort of technology gap and having the communication gap and the social media gap um, has really, amplified the the challenges of getting employer-employee collaboration 
And so when you, and now we've got Gen Z coming into the, well, coming well into the workforce, you know, under the age of 25 and you get employers who are over the age of 50 or even over the age of 40 and the under 25s have a very different work style and a very different outlook on life, right? They entered into the workforce with a cell phone in their back pocket and with any number of job opportunities in the palm of their hand, any moment of the day, the moment something goes sideways, they get uncomfortable, they don't like it. Somebody, you know, speaks down to them or someone, you know, doesn't treat them very nicely um, or they don't see a way forward. That's one of the biggest challenges with Gen Z is they, they see the, they have their eyes on the price. They see the foreman driving this fancy truck with the shiny rims or the supervisor and they, the guy running the skid steer and they're on a shovel and they're like, no, I want that. But they don't understand the journey to get there. And they're impatient. They're super impatient. Again, because we're on a podcast, but I'm holding my phone up. Um, they, they don't have to be patient because they have whatever information they want at their fingertips at any moment. So we have to teach them patience. And we also have to show them that there's hope and opportunity. And as employers, if we don't make sure that everyone on our team shows up every day, hopeful, hopeful, just hope, come to work, hopeful that you're going to learn something new, that you're going to rock it out of the park, that you're going to build something awesome, that you're going to learn a new skill, you're going to learn to run a new piece of equipment or use a new tool or hit it out of the park some way, you know, get a pat on the back, be appreciated by have some joking around at lunch, whatever, hopeful that something is going to go well for them every day. And then be able to leave at the end of the day proud. I learned this, I helped buddy do this, I helped someone to do that, I learned how to do this. The boss told me I did a great job at this. Everyone needs, when you peel back the layers and the, the bravado and the macho and the ego and whatever, peel all that back and look in the mirror, every single one of you listening to this and realize, think about what if every day I came to work and I, I wasn't hopeful, like I had no hope. It was a dead end job. What if I thought this was a dead end job working for you, Mike? How long am I going to stay the moment some little carrot gets dangled in front of me or some little notification comes to my phone because I've been Google searching different jobs and all of a sudden it's, you know, here they all are. What do you think I'm going to do? Right? So it's up to employers to slow themselves down enough to pay attention. And I know there's going to be probably hundreds of your listeners rolling their eyes when I say this. Pay attention to how your people feel, right? And I'm not saying this because I'm a woman. I'm saying this because it's important. If you want your employees under the age of 30 to really, really stay with your company, to make, like, if you want to make your company sticky, is that what I call it, you need to pay attention to how they feel. When do they feel uncertain? When are they feeling anxious? Anxiety is the curse of millennials, right? Anxiety is a huge, huge problem in the workplace. And you've probably got every single one of you listening to this probably has someone on your on your team on meds for anxiety. That's the odds. Statistically, more than 20% of people under the age, <clears throat> under the age of 30 are either in mental health therapy or in, or in medication treatment for anxiety. You got a staff of five, 20%. That means you got one person on your on your team that has a problem with anxiety. So what can you do 
as an employer, just to dial that back a little bit. When someone feels uncertain or they feel embarrassed or there's no psychological safety to ask a question without being hazed or ridiculed or teased or made fun of, how are you, how are you going to get that person to show up every day if they know they've got to work with someone who picks on them? And what we're doing, like a lot of, a lot of your listeners are going to say, well, you tell them to suck it up and show up for work anyway. And you know what? That doesn't work anymore. The results that many of you are getting in the yard in the morning when one or two or three or more people don't show up and didn't call, they just didn't show up. The results that you're getting are telling you that there's a problem with culture. There's a problem with hope, a problem with engagement and pride, and you're not sticky enough. You're not sticky enough to get them out of bed when they're a little nervous or a little shy, or got a bad sunburn yesterday, or their back sore, or what? There's not enough motivation for them to push through and come because they have no hope. So, what do you do about that? Here's a couple of things you can do about that. If if everyone who comes to work for you knows what it looks like when they're doing their job really well. I'm going to take a guess that maybe you and your own company, Mike, and probably some of your your listeners and followers might not have really detailed job descriptions for every position in your company written down. Good guess. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) So let's go back to that. You're not alone because, and you're in good company because nobody else does either. So when you can make the time to actually write down for every position you have in your company, here's the the role. Here's, Here's what you're going to do. Not tasks, but just here's the type of work you're going to do every day, right? Um, And what you're responsible for. Every person in the company, here's five responsibilities you have in this job. Five. And we're also going to tell you in a job description what the results are that you and I see happening when you are fully responsible for those five things, right? So we got maybe three or four skills you have to have and three or four qualifications, like a driver's license or something. And here's five things you'll be responsible for. And here's five things that are going to be happening when you're doing those responsibilities perfectly. And then when we, when you hire you, when I hire you, I'm going to say, okay, let's look at the five responsibilities and the five results. Where are you starting from? Well, you know, maybe I'm kind of halfway there on number one and I got number two nailed. I know how to run a quick cut saw and I'm really good at reading a transit whatever. So when you, when you hire someone new, if they're clear on what they're good at, that you need them to be good at and where they need to learn in order to be super good in this job. Now they know, and you know, and everybody else around you knows what they're aiming to learn. And the number one phrase that you'll hear over and over again is what's in it for me if I work for you? 
20 years ago, the answer to that question was a paycheck. But when you have a generation and a whole cohort of employees who don't need the paycheck or don't value the paycheck as greatly as your parents, my parents, our grandparents did in, in the work environment, it was all about buy a house, buy a car, pay off the mortgage. By the time I retire, life's good. It's not like that anymore. So motivation isn't just about money. Motivation is no longer, it's, it's part of it. Like if I can take a job for 20 bucks an hour instead of 18, what do you think I'm going to do? Right. But if I've got two jobs in front of me at 20 bucks an hour, how am I going to decide which one I'm going to take? And if I'm in a job at 20 bucks an hour or 18 or 50, whatever, or 30, um, and I see another one for 20 bucks an hour, how am I going to decide if I stay? Because the grass is always going to look greener on the other side of the fence until you get in there. So what are you doing? And your listeners, what are all of you um, doing to build value for the people who work for you that they're super conscious of every day? So if I stay here at 20 bucks an hour as a landscape layer laying brick, if I stay here for a year, my job description is these five responsibilities and these five results. But I want that guy's job over there. And I, I want to be, go from a landscape laborer to a lead hand or from a lead hand to an equipment operator or from equipment operator to a foreman or from foreman to supervisor. Like, I, if everyone knows... If I'm a landscape laborer, I need to know these five things and have those get those five results. But if I want to become a lead hand, I need to do these five things and get these five results that the landscape laborer does. I've got to be able to master all of those. And I'm going to need to learn these other five things and these other five responsibilities on top of. So you start to, if you start to build, some people call it a career path. I call it an opportunity path, not to move up in the company. I want all of you to forget that whole concept of hierarchy. Okay. Like everyone's going to go, yeah, but somebody's got to make the decisions. You're right. Somebody's got to make the decisions. But if you think of a core company structure in landscape, in a landscape company, as what I call an agile cooperative, think of a wheel with spokes on the wheel. Okay as opposed to a pyramid of layers and levels, okay? Because Gen Z, under 25, and younger millennials, under 25 to 35, don't want to ever start at the bottom, right? And they don't want to ever be told, well, it's going to take five years for you to become a supervisor or a foreman. That, 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 they'll be out the back door of the HR department so fast, you won't even be able to see a trail behind them. So you need to think about changing the paradigm that we all have about corporate structure, company structure. If you think of opportunity instead of promotion, you're halfway there. If you think about um, capability, being made up of 
skill. So I know how to run a quick cut saw, or I know how to lay sod, or I know how to prune boxwoods. And then knowledge. So skill plus knowledge. So skill is I know how to do this. Knowledge is I know why to do it and when to do it. And I can teach someone else how to do it. That's knowledge, okay? Or maybe wisdom a little bit. And then the third piece is will. I, I know how to operate a quick cut. And I know why and when and how to measure and how to, like, I, I know how to make those cuts. But do I want to? Can I be bothered? What's my pace? What's my endurance? What's my, how, what's my production like in hour one and hour nine on a hot sunny day? So how much will do I have to push through an, you know, a sore back or it's dusty and it's hot and it's well, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I'm whatever. How much will do I have to push through some of those things that most of us experience day to day or potentially experience day to day? That's where the value is in being able to seek a new opportunity in a company. If I come to my job knowing exactly what's expected of me and exactly how my performance is gonna be measured, these are your five responsibilities and these are the five things we see happening when you're doing this super well. And I know I wanna learn how to run a skid steer. I don't wanna be on the shovel in the wheelbarrow. I wanna be running the skid steer. So that was the first thing I did when I started my landscaping career. I was like, I ain't, I'm getting in the skid steer. <laughs> I'm gonna, that's it. I'm that get out of my way because I've learned I'm coming in on Sunday mornings. I've learned how to drive that puppy. Anyway, so I, I think whenever when you realize that you got to put the power in the hands of your employees, because your gens and younger millennials, they want to control their own destiny, even though they have no idea what that looks like yet. None. Zip. Is this making sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have okay. lots of follow-up questions, so keep going. Thoughts there. <laughs> I just want to take a break from today's episode to talk about our sponsor, Cycle CPA. You may have a CRM or project management software in place, but what data are you using to ensure your estimating is accurate? Having a proper accounting setup and accurate bookkeeping done is key to understanding overhead expenses and other costs that must be recouped in your estimates. Cycle CPA is a remote bookkeeping and CFO firm that helps to connect the dots from the financial reports to the hardscape and landscape data needed in order to reach high profits. They provide landscape and hardscape industry benchmarking, job costing financials by service line, advisory meetings, and much more. Cycle CPA's team of accountants are specialized within the hardscape and landscape industry, and you can visit them at cyclecpa.com and for $200 off, mention the How to Hardscape podcast. Now back to our episode. We also want to say thank you to Inlight for sponsoring today's episode. Did you know that one of the easiest ways to grow your hardscape business and increase your revenue is by incorporating low voltage outdoor lighting to your projects? Using lighting can take your projects to the next level, make you more profit and add that wow factor and make your business stand out. As a professional hardscaper, we know you need reliable and high quality products to avoid callbacks and wasted time on job sites. That's why Inlight offers some of the 
the highest quality lights and is the quickest system to install on the market. Their patented easy lock connector ensures that lighting will be the easiest thing you install every time. No heavy lifting, no massive machinery, just plug and play. Not only that, but InLight also provides many educational resources like online and in-person training, installation videos, unbeatable customer support, and more. Everything you need to successfully take your business to the next level with outdoor lighting and beyond. It's one of the many reasons why I stand behind InLight and many other companies that provide these educational resources to their clients, to contractors, and to help us grow our businesses. So for more information on how InLight can help grow your business, check them out on Instagram at InLightDesign. That's at I-N-L-I-T-E Design on Instagram. DM them to find out how to put more money in your pocket this season. Okay, so um, I, I, want, I want you to think about putting yourself in the, in the boots of the people who are working for you in all the different types of positions that all of you have in your businesses. How do they feel coming to work? Where's the hope? Where's the pride? Where's the opportunity that they can see and touch and smell? Because if they can't see any of that, they're out the door. Or they show up when it works for them. They're not going to dig in and they're not. And they're going to let you down. And one thing I know for sure from all the companies that I work with, the cost, the lost opportunity cost to your business. If you've got trucks and trailers and tools and equipment and projects sold and all lined up and you've made production promises to customers, and then you have people who don't show up and you fall behind schedule and you've got a truck sitting in the yard because you can't find enough, a foreman and someone to run the crew. So now you've combined a couple together. Now you've got a super expensive crew because you got two foremen working together because you don't have anybody to go in that crew truck. Like, come on. The cost to the business, the cost to, to your business of not, sorry about that, of not having, um, of not having, the right people in the right seats on the company bus when you need them is huge, right? You want to make profit. If you're set up to have 10 people working, whether it's mowing or gardening or installing irrigation or cutting down trees and mulching and chipping and laying pavers, I don't care what you're doing. If you've got capacity for 10, and right now you've only got seven or you've got eight and one's kind of, yeah, but we keep them just, you know, we need a warm body. I used to call it two feet in a heartbeat. Um, you're, you're going to make 20% less profit than you targeted automatically. If you've got eight people and need 10 and what's it doing to the really good people who you have, because when we're short staffed, who do we burden? We burden our best people. And we ask them to do more. And where's their hope? Right? Lots so of questions you, from you that. You said you Jackie. got some questions. So I got lots of questions. Away. <laughs> 
So I do want to touch on structure and what that means for the employees that we already have that are used to maybe our hierarchy. Uh, I don't know how to properly pronounce that word there, but who are already used to that and kind of you're bringing in new employees and kind of changing things, whereas the older employees that you may be having that are really uh, faithful to the company and really established with where they're at, and then you're kind of changing things on them. How, how do you communicate that? How do you change that culture if you've already established a culture that's like a baseline for the company and then you want to transition to make this company more um, pleasing to this younger generation coming into the workforce? Where, where, how do you communicate that essentially? And how do you make that switch? Great question. I'm really glad you asked that. Great question. And I'm sorry I skipped over that as a detail. I could have probably included that in there is not just what to do, but how do you do it? And I think the best way to do it is to be super honest, to sit down the ones who've been with you for the longest or your current employees and say, look, we got to do something different here because I don't want to burn you guys out. And I'm tired of not having, not being able to find enough people, not being able to find the right people, not being able to keep the people we want to keep. We got to do something different. And I came across this idea. And the idea is instead of having seniority over top of someone else, what if you had four, three or four people on your crew and there's actually someone there who, who actually really likes doing the paperwork, but they're not a foreman. So they don't, they're not given the paperwork. You got to do the paperwork, but you hate doing the paperwork. You hate tracking, you know, the slips for the stuff that you bought at the, over the way scale and the gas chips and this, you know, receipts for this, that, and the other, and getting them into the office. What if you had somebody in the crew who's like, oh yeah, like maybe they're detail oriented and they really like doing that kind of stuff. What if you could share, if everyone knew what, Every, every position was responsible for. And you can start a little bit of bartering going on, right? And what if you were able to say, okay, there's some things that we all are responsible to do during a day and actually hate doing and lean away from. What if we could share some of those tasks? And what if we could actually create a communication, a way of communicating with one another so that there's no condescending. There's no um, bullying. There's no, okay, well, he's the new guy. So he's got to do that stuff on the wheelbarrow down the hill and back up again. You know, um, what if it's, no, you do that for half hour, then I'll take the next half hour and so-and-so takes the next half hour. And, we're, and we work together more as a team. So there's no sense of entitlement. When you get rid of that sense of entitlement, if you've got people in your midst who abuse the power, the authoritative hierarchical power that they have, and by the way, you pronounce the word just fine. Um, but if, if you have people who abuse that power, like I, right now I'm working in a, on a contract in a construction company that's 150 employees and we're restructuring that and fixing the culture. And I'm in there for three years and I've been in there for a year so far. And let me tell you, this company, knowledge hoarding is 
so rampant in this company. They've got some employees who've been there 35, 40, 45 years, and they know it all. And they aren't teaching anybody because it threatens their job security. And that is so toxic and so dysfunctional. We're actually starting to fire some of them to get the message across that this is not okay. Knowledge hoarding and using knowledge as power over other people is not okay. And I can tell you, millennials and Gen Z won't accept it, right? So how do you do it? You start with a conversation to say, look, the end game here, whatever your end game is, whatever it is you want to improve, but let's just, I'm going to assume that you want to improve employee retention. Okay, so let's say that's the end game. If the end game is is retaining the people that you do bring in and like and, and have the skills and are willing and want to learn knowledge, like they want to gain more knowledge and experience, if you if that's the end game is to keep them, to make the company more sticky, then you can't keep doing what you've always done. And you're always going to get the result that you've always got, right? Albert Einstein, great quote. You cannot solve a problem using the same thinking that created it. And what you are all faced with in this industry, in this decade, is a clash and a, um, a, an intersection of that old way of thinking and this newer attitude towards work. I will go where the work is meaningful, where I am valued, where I'm appreciated, and where there's opportunity for me to learn and grow, period. As opposed to I'm going to go and work for a company because they have a pension plan. If I stay there for 15 years or 20 years or 25 years, because that's what my dad did, that doesn't exist anymore, right? People aren't looking for that. But when you run a company that's structured with entry level and then lead hand and then foreman and then supervisor and then operations manager and then the owner, and they're all layered one on top of the other. And you, the only way you can get a raise is to move up or still be breathing next spring when you come back to work after a winter layoff or a winter slow period and you get cost of living, but th- then they're, they're not going to stay. Like the name of the game isn't tenure anymore. The name of the game isn't I'm a more valued employee because I've been here the longest. That's what I'm dealing with, with this construction company is people strutting around with their chest sticking out because they've been there for 35 years. Well, guess what, sweetheart, you're fired. You're bringing no value and you're, you're condescending and inter interfering with the opportunity for us to grow the next generation. So you're out at a very expensive cost to get rid of them. <laughs> so does that answer your question? Absolutely. How? And it brings up many more questions here Uh-oh. for me. If you have, uh, actually, this could be one of the last ones here, but I, I find with solutions for problems typically brings with it more problems that you have to deal with and move forward with one company uh one business owner that i had on the show was he he had a saying something like uh nobody's too good for the wheelbarrow and he kind of created that culture where you know everybody from the foreman on site to the labor or whatever you might call that in your business uh and even him as the business owner if he was on site he was doing the hardest thing possible to set that tone for everybody right love it yep with that um 
comes the the concept of wages if you if you're basing wages on some sort of hierarchy what are you basing wages on in this system where everybody has roles and responsibilities that might overlap and then so, and then you might say your roles and responsibilities are this but then they start to evolve because they're willing to take on more and more work does wage have a bit more fluidity in terms mm -hmm. of that than it ever had before in terms of uh one how long you've been at the company as well as the roles and responsibilities that you're taking on or how do you see that kind of evolving it's funny you ask that because i i um i just wrote a blog article about exactly that and i actually put some wage ranges and stuff in there so can i take a couple of minutes and just go through it absolutely okay so most of your readers are they north of the border or south of the border or uh, about 25 percent canadian 75 percent us okay so you guys in the us don't fall out of your truck when you hear me say these labor rates because the rates in Canada are probably higher because don't forget we are dealing in Canadian pesos, not US dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so our, our labor rates dollar per hour look higher um, and the cost of our jobs are way higher than the cost of your jobs because our dollars are very different in terms of value of what, what it costs to buy a Big Mac um, is different here than it is there. So keep that in mind. Okay. And I'm not even for your Canadian listeners, I'm not suggesting that the Toronto marketplace or the Vancouver marketplace is even comparable for an hourly wage to where I live in Muskoka, which is a rural, um, area or, you know, a small town in the East coast. So there's a big range and it really depends on, uh, regional diversity and 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 the population density and cost of living of where you are. So keep that in mind. Um, but I'm going to give you an example. Okay. So to your question, if you take a landscape laborer or a gardener, landscape gardener, like entry level, okay, nineteen to twenty three dollars. Welcome to Toronto. Um, <laughs> and so let so the the requirements skills. They need five skills. Entry level, a lot of people say if you're breathing and you've got steel-toed boots and you can smile, you're hired. Okay. So entry level skills for someone like that might be um, they're dependable, they're punctual, they're physically able, like physically capable of doing the work. Uh, they can translate instructions into action because you'll find people who you might hire that don't have that skill. It's a life skill, right? Um, and maybe the confidence, the personal self-confidence to ask questions. Um, so th those could be basic skills for entry level. And then you say, okay, what about task knowledge? Well, entry level, they need zip, right? They don't need any task knowledge. So knowledge is zero. And, but will, so I'm going back to those three things, skills, knowledge, and will, okay? Will they consistently try to improve and they're focusing on demonstrating their newly learned skills. That's the only will you need for an entry-level person, okay? So then you say, okay, and so everybody knows that. Everybody knows, okay, an entry-level person comes in at 19 bucks an hour. Maybe they come in at 20 because they work for their landscape company. They got a few skills, but basic, basic, right? And let's say someone wants to stay in that role because they don't want the responsibility of moving into lead hand or they maybe they're not really literate. And they, they don't read and write very well, and they so they don't want to start moving up into a role that requires that, and they're happy to stay as a, as a landscape laborer. Um, so that's where you have a range from, you know, 19 to 23 or 17 to 20 or whatever that looks like. 
So that range is about tenure. It's how many years you've been here in that job. That's what gives you the room to kind of, but they're going to cap out sooner or later, they're going to cap out and all they're going to get over that $23 an hour is cost of living, whatever that is at two and a half or two, or right now it's like eight. <laughs> um, so that's landscape entry level. And then you go to like a landscape lead hand or a landscape gardener lead hand, um, 21 to 25 bucks an hour. So they've got to have all the entry level requirements. So the skills, knowledge, and will of the entry level, plus they got to have 10 new skills, 10 more skills, and 10 more points of knowledge. So 10 more things they know how to do. Edge of bed, lay sod, adjust an irrigation head. I don't know, you pick. Um, and then they need to have 10 more points of knowledge. And that would mean what, when, and why. So not how do we use a shovel and wheelbarrow efficiently, but what, what do we do with the material in the wheelbarrow when we get to the other end? Dump it all in one pile. Do you dump a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here? So what do you do with it? When do you, um, you decide to use this shovel, this wheelbarrow versus um, an MT-85 or an MT-100 or so? Like, when does it make sense to use a wheelbarrow versus the equipment? So that's kind of more of the lean hand can make those decisions. So what, when, and why? And then the will to constantly mentor and help others to improve. So you start with basic entry level and you say, okay, if you want to get to the, to be a lead hand in the next two years, here's the 10 things you need to learn. Right. And when you've learned those 10 things and mastered them, now you can be a lead hand. Okay. So now we got a lead hand. We're not going up higher. We're adding value. We're adding experience. And the, the, the benefit to the employee is we can give you incremental raises while you're learning. And then once you've learned, now the pay range goes from um, 21 to 25 instead of 19 to 23. Now it's 21 to 25, right? And you've got 10 more things that you know how to do, but now you want to go, now your back's getting sorry. You want to go run that skid sticker. Okay. So what do you need? Well, guess what? In our job description for an equipment operator, you need, you need to have a lead hands skills, knowledge, and will. Plus you need the skills, knowledge, and will to run the equipment. So now you got to show up on Sunday morning at the yard to go and practice how to learn how to run a skid steer and how to load it and unload it and grease everything. And, you know, so the equipment operator skid steer, excavator, mini X, whatever, could be 24 to 30. Okay. But maybe I don't want to learn how to be the equipment operator. I want to go from lead hand. I kind of want to become a foreman. Well, the foreman's 26 to 34 an hour. And the foreman needs to have the requirements of the lead hand plus these 10 skills and those 10 responsibilities. See what I'm getting? Yes, absolutely. This, so, and then when you add, so if I want to become a four person, I got to have these skills plus those 10, plus the ability to lead others collaboratively and the ability to motivate, inspire, and mentor. And then if I want to be a supervisor, I got to have all those skills plus another 10 things. 
whatever they are, right? And, and I've got to have critical thinking and problem solving. And I've got to have confidence and excellent communication skills. And I've got to have excellent team management skills and self-accountability and high emotional intelligence. So what I'm suggesting is we're not building layers on top of each other. We're building lateral opportunities to move sideways, to move um, with around within the company. And maybe it's just a little bit of semantics. Some of you are kind of going, yeah, it's the same thing. No, it's not. It's kind of marketing. It's all in how you present it to your team. Okay. Because if you present it as you come in as lead hand and you move up the ladder, there is always, it's human nature. There's always going to be the, the, the concept of I'm higher than you. I'm looking down on you. You're going to do what I tell you to do. When you get rid of that and it takes time and everybody's got to be on board and there's always going to be one that isn't on board and they can show them the door or you can say, well, we're kind of doing this by, um, uh, by vote here and you're outnumbered. So this is the way we're going. But try to do it as collaboratively as you can. Jackie, thank you so much here. I do have a really quick question. One thing that I did like that you said there was uh, the willingness to help others. So that creates that knowledge share. So that's like one of the most mm -hmm. important skills, like almost early on there. But uh, is this transparent? Like, uh, and, and this is a really short question. Is this transparent in terms of uh, we create these skills, we create these different things so that people can see them yes. and know where they're getting as well as the wage? Yes. Okay, awesome. Why not? Because they're going to talk about it anyway. Right. Murphy Perfect. sakes, don't ever think that your staff don't know how much each other make because <laughs> it doesn't matter what policy you want to write in what how, which handbook, they're going to talk. Everybody knows how much everybody else makes, or at least a few of them. And if you don't show where the path is, if you don't show them where they can grow to with your company, they're going to look somewhere else of where they can grow to. If they think for a moment that the only people in this company who move up are the ones who have been here the longest or who are related to someone or are sleeping with someone or, I don't know, come up with another stupid rule. But if they can see where there's a path and there's a checklist, I got to learn this, 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 and that. And if I can learn those four things, oh my God, I could get that job. I could get that range. And it's, I've test driven this in many companies and it's working. Like it's working. So I, the whole thing here, if you don't leave with anything else is what can you do to make your company more sticky? Because you all are working your butts off and you are investing a huge amount of your energy and your knowledge in training and mentoring the people who work for you, hoping that they stay. So what aren't you doing right? Jackie, thank you so much for your time here. I do have to let you go. And thank you for the knowledge that I've got tons of notes that I'm going to have to re-listen to this <laughs> myself. So this was excellent. Uh, Jackie, where can our audience go find out more about you, yourself, anything that you want to direct them to? Where do you want to throw at? Well, I'm happy to... Um to do that, I'm, I'm happy to share with your listeners my website, which is consulting by heart, H-A-R-T, which is my last name, consultingbyheart.com. And if you go to the business tips section, 
I've got, I don't know, 30 or 40, 50 blog articles there that have just tips like this, like this, the, the, the ranges and the skill thing that I just talked to you about. It's a blog article that's just going to be posted maybe by the end of this week on my website. Um, it's the August blog. So by all means, please go there for resources. But the sad news is I'm not taking on any more clients. <laughs> that's unfortunate. So I'm not here to try to drum up business. I'm just here to mentor and, and to pay it forward from all the people who helped me in my career. I appreciate that uh, greatly. And thank you so much for your time for that. That's consultingbyheart.com. And that'll be in our show notes. Jackie, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure. And uh, happy to do part two sometime if you want. That would be excellent. I would love that. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode. I'd really appreciate it if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts to leave us a rating and review. This really helps us with this show. So if you got something out of this episode or any of our other episodes, please leave us a rating and review there. It's been a while since we got one, so I'm asking because I haven't asked in quite some time here. As well as Spotify, if you're listening on Spotify, there is an area that you can leave a rating. It's a quick couple of clicks. There's not even room for a review. It's essentially just leaving a five-star rating, if at all possible. And once again, check out Inlight Outdoor Lighting at Inlight Design, that's I-N-L-I-T-E Design on Instagram. Follow them, get some inspiration with their outdoor lighting from their photos on their page, and reach out to them if you're looking for lighting alternatives in the industry for your designs as well as CycleCPA, that's CycleCPA.com if you want to reach out to them for bookkeeping, accounting, or CFO services and mention the How to Hardscape podcast for $200 off their services there. And we look forward to meeting with you next week on the How to Hardscape podcast.